0: The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: Ready to pump your energy and jumpstart your dreams with positive, uplifting, life changing talk radio on the world's most popular power hour, Star Style. Be the star you are. The Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan, and her sidekick, daughter, Heather Brittany, deliver lessons of success spanning the generations of the globe in their information-packed Tea for Two, a mother-daughter brew. In other segments, Cynthia interviews real-life trailblazers, authors and experts with the courage and vision who show you how to build a road to fulfillment through their unique books and services. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll be informed and entertained. For your free lifestyle empowerment coaching session right here on the Airwaves, Turn up the volume, relax, sit back, and get ready to be inspired. Because Star Style, Be the Star You Are, starts right now. Well,
0: hello there, party partners, and welcome to Radio's Finest Hour of Power, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. This is a program of positive book talk with authors and experts that help you excel and exceed in life. I'm Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Helen Brittany. And we are the Stella Donut Goddess Gals, the mother-daughter dynamic duo here to help you every single week. The miracle moment for today, the purpose of time is to enable you to learn how to use time constructively. That is from A Course in Miracles. Well, today's show, we're going to talk about America's addiction to information overload, how we all multitask and need to get back to being focused we're going to learn to heal our anger with psychotherapist Frank West, and we'll go into the world of show business with the book Real Life by Verdis' nephew. So relax, enjoy the show, and get ready to get pumped up. Well, information overload is everywhere this day, these days. It's distracting everyone. It's email, blogs, YouTube, articles about health, careers, entertainment, finance. There's news on television, on the radio, magazines, newspapers. Every place we are, we are absolutely bombarded. So welcome to the Attention Crisis Center. We are a nation of multitasking, and if you don't multitask, you're considered probably lazy. So is this ruining our health? Are we facing the limit of stimuli to our brains, and how do we get back to simplicity? That's the topic that Heather and I want to talk about today is the multitasking malady. What's happening, Heather? I know I am very guilty of it. I'm always doing 10 things at one time.
2: I'm in the same thing and I often pride myself on how, oh, I'm such a great multitasker. But the thing to look at it, of course, we always multitask. You can definitely chew gum and walk at the same time. Doesn't mean you're achieving too much. There's there's always the scale back of how and what you're doing. We spend too much of our day Trying to cram in more and more. And we've adapted this from this computer term, multitasking. And we try to apply it to all of our daily activities. And this quest of always, you know, achieving so many things. I'm, oh, I'm doing this and this and this. But are we really getting more done? There's kind of the old philosophy of single tasking, of how when you put a priority into one thing, finishing that and then moving on to the next. I'm not saying, you know, multitasking isn't a good thing. It's, definitely, it's a great thing. I feel like I get a lot of things done, but it matters the magnitude of what I'm trying to get done. Yes, I can get more done, um, and sure, lots of things done, but it's really the quality of something. So if I know, you know, I have a, a paper to write, I don't want to also be talking on the phone, making dinner, uh, working on another project as well, because things are going to get boggled. So it's kind of, you know, chunking your time. Choosing something, you know, choosing one chunk, um, chunking your time, meaning t- choosing something, focusing on it for a single amount of time, and then moving on to the next. I think the best thing when it comes to multitasking is creating
0: time frames
2: for what you want to do. Oh, we yeah, that's have a good choose. idea.
0: And also, besides creating the time frames, is uh, creating priorities.
2: Exactly, exactly. Prioritize what's going to be the most important thing and what... You know, don't allow interruptions and reduce time spent in the, the moment time, the, the kind of the build up things. Plan ahead for what you have to do. If you, I like every day, I like to write, have a little day planner with all these things on it. Uh, and then I like, you know, crossing off. There's some things I can do at the same time, um, but it's definitely prioritizing of what's the most important, what can you get done. What's something that has the ability um, to have, you know, multiple things going on? And what's something that's not, you you know, if you need to be talking to someone, if you have an interview, um, you want to make sure that's just that interview going on. You don't want to be scheduling other things at the same time um, so that something or someone isn't given um, the utmost attention for that. Um, kind of looking back, trying to, I think in a way of seeing what works best for your personal um, achievement. So, some people do really good when they have tons of things going on and lots of distractions. I happen
0: Other to people- be one of those people, and I think you do too.
2: Yeah, definitely. You know, when I mean- we have
0: a lot going on, we tend to really get a lot done.
2: Exactly, but you know, the same thing is that why creating your own formula don't go by someone else's or if someone says this works for me, this will work for you. It may not. You have to look at your circumstances, what your learning style is and how your productivity is. If you're son I'm a big person if I'd like to be working on someone something and then taking multiple breaks so that um, you know kind of that whole thing of when you're staying at a computer, Every I think it's like every 30 minutes or something you're supposed to just turn away for a couple of minutes um, to give your eyes a rest. But it holds ergonomics, you know, stretching and all that kind of stuff. So finding out, you know, how um, how will you do in the situations? As you're talking, there's constantly this overstimuli in life that um, you know. I kind of feel like that's how how phones are now. Phones are the ultimate multitasker. They're not even phones. They're more of now their're computers and their TVs and um you know email all this
0: yeah crazy I mean, you can stuff. watch movies on them I mean they do everything
2: exactly. It's kind of getting back to you you know now you send instant messages and texting that they're really not used that much for the phone aspect of it. It's funny that they keep releasing all these kind of new um, things with phones, these new upgrades and there's this and that, and that you know you can learn to play music on it. The um, so people aren't buying it necessarily because it gets great phone coverage and you can call people or they're in your plan. Uh, it's the you know the ultimate multitasker and it's kind of gotten away from what it originally was or is or does. Um, so it's kind of the thing in life of you know are we this these ultimate overstimulated multitasking things? And if we kind of though now we may be able to do so many things at once, are we more efficient? And putting that thing is that they're just releasing you know these iPhones that and do all this crazy stuff, but now there's being, um, they, have, they have all these glitches, and people have to go back, or they have to get these new applications to, um, and then your whole thing gets messed it. up, your
0: whole phone gets messed up, mm-hmm. exactly. I have an iPhone, and I love my iPhone, I love it, however, I think it's going to take me forever to learn everything I need to know about it, there's just so many features, I mean, it's it's truly, you know, these when they call it a smartphone, it truly is a smartphone, it's, it's, Definitely smarter than me. <laughs> um, so real quick, I just wanted to get
2: back on the whole thing with single um, tasking, especially in the workspace. So the definition of just a single tasking is doing one thing at a time and in a way that helps people to get more things done because the flow is more efficient. And by single tasking, we're focusing on um, a shorter task at hand. So uh, I think it's good with single tasking when you have a lot of things going on. Um, but you want to be able to create um, specific attention to each thing. And by um, doing the single tasking thing, it, it makes it, in, an, uh, um, in essence, everything kind of flow more effectively. And especially this works really good uh, in a work setting or in a group setting of kind of this whole thing of assigning each person a position. Uh, this is how, you know, the engine goes. But the wheels turn, the car, cars, the, everything has its own um it's own, it's own position, it's own title, and kind of putting that in. For me, I know at work, I can, you know, there's one person that can kind of be the conductor and, and putting every, thing. Um, saying everyone are going to do this, this, this and this, so we all come together on it. So kind of what I want with people, when you're making your schedule and you're making your plans of how it's going to, um, be most efficient into your life. Um, I know for you, you know, you're, you know, a writer and you have the radio show going on, What ways are that you feel um, possibly you know with your multitasking and your single tasking? um, What works best for you?
0: Well, you know I really have to watch myself because I really am a multitasker, and I will find that I will have three or or four or five or ten pages open, you know, on my computer, and I'm going back and forth, and I'm checking both uh, two or three different email accounts. At the same time, I'm trying to check something on the internet, um, and I might be listening to a phone message. And what I find is that when I do that, it it doesn't always, it's not really that efficient. So some of the things that I think are important for other people, and then I have to, you know, I have to do this myself, is to study your habits. So you got to figure out what really is going to work the best. I find that when, especially on the radio, when I'm focusing on something, I can do a better job. And so I try to, I call it putting on different hats. I will put on my radio hat, and then I will just absolutely focus on the books that um, I'm reading or that I'm writing about because I have to build web pages and all of that. And then... I will set a timer, and I'll say, okay, now I'm done with that. Now I'm going to do some charity work. So now i got to work on you know, the books that were donated exactly. So I guess what I'm saying here is you have to uh, limit your input, so you got to stick to doing things that are the most important. I guess that gets back to the prioritizing we were talking about. Mm-hmm. I'm not a cruiser on the Internet, so I don't just lose track of time doing that. Everything I do has a purpose. I think we have to exercise to our concentration metal um, muscles, and we have to focus on activities such as reading the book that we're reading, or meditating at the time that we're meditating, or weeding our garden, or working with our patients, whatever it is. Um, I also think we got to leave a trail so that when you think of something to do, put it on your to-do list. I find Ooh, I if I, I don't write it, like it down. That. Yeah, if I don't write it down, Heather, I may forget it. And I know that, I, you know, you and I are both big to-do list people. We're list makers. Yeah. I'm a huge believer in list maker, being a list maker, because then I have that great feeling that I can cross it off. Now, something that I love on my computer is that I actually have a program that I can cross things off, and I can make these to-do lists. So that works uh, great. I also find that when I start multitasking too much, I get overwhelmed and I need to go outside, get some fresh air, get a little bit of sunshine, take a quick walk. Even if it's five minutes, I need to, like, decompress. And lastly, I have decided now, you know, it's okay that I can't figure out how to do everything all the time and I can't get everything done on my to-do list. So I guess it's let go. What about you?
2: <laughs> I mean, that's awesome. I think for me, I've... I am such, um I, and I even pride myself on being a multitasker. And for the most part, I feel things can be efficient. I said prioritizing of what I feel I can multitask. And it kind of just getting back, I always just wonder, when did we become this society? that It became, um you know, such a thing of saying, oh, I'm a multitasker. That's a, you know, a thing to pride ourselves on, that when people can't multitask, um, in business settings I and mean, that's a lot of things when people are going for interviews they like to say i'm a multitask you know i can be i have a lot of
0: stuff done um, but it's really to look at the efficiency of everything for me yeah, I'm and, you the, know I'm a... i think that there's certain instances where it really works to your advantage and other instances when it's detrimental for example if i'm working um, you know making dinner something that's not i'm a, you know you can, i cook well i know what i'm doing I can pick up a phone and make a conversation. I can do that, but like to drive and to text or to talk, I can't do that. So I think we I'm have to look at what is <laughs> you know. I can't read a book and write at the same time. I can't be in a noisy place and uh, create an article. Uh, so I I think that's really critical is to figure out what you know, are the important things for you. So um, yeah. and then uh, then the other thing too is is we can't compare ourselves to other people we, we are not all the same
2: completely, and that's why I think because I like having this, this endless list of I like to put on the really important things as well as mundane situations, so that way you know I can look and I can cross off, oh my goodness, I am so busy, look at all this stuff I did, and measurement it you know can be as simple you know get gas, see the dot. But it's a good it's a way and in an in essence um, to look back. It kind of feels self-rewarding that you're getting all these things done. And, again, is a big thing is focusing on things that really need. For me at work, I, I need to multitask. In a, in a clinic flow, there's so much going on, but you need to have the essence of details. So... It's multitasking on, you know, ordering things, putting in, documenting, but it's single-tasking on actual patient care, of working with that patient and making sure that person knows that they're
0: there um, and that they're not, you know, we're not... That you're really, truly there for them. Yes, like when when I'm coaching, I am 100% right there. You have to do very effective listening, and that's critical. So I totally agree with you there that... It's so important that um, it depends on the the task that you're doing, whether you have the ability to multitask or not. And sometimes I think when people are working on the computer, you can definitely uh, multitask because there's, you know, but as long as you don't have too many programs open. That's why our computers crash. I think that's why our heads crash too. (laughs) So why don't you give out the website?
2: Yeah, most definitely. Well, if you're looking for a multitask going on, go to Betastarur.com, be uh Carmody Clutches, both with a K, dot com, or MySpace.com forward slash Carmine Clutches, both with a K.
0: Excellent, excellent. Well, when we come back from break, we're going to be talking to family counselor and psychotherapist Frank West, who has authored the book, Healing Our Anger. We're going to learn a lot about A Course in Miracles. I am Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Whitney. And we'll be back in a bit. Don't go away.
1: Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. The star
3: you are, light up the flames that
1: burn. you mm.
4: Looking for unique, one-of-a-kind gifts for the special woman in your life? The Carmony Collection creates handmade handbags, clutches, candles, and canvases from vintage and recycled fabrics, bangles, and beads. Be eco-friendly and fashionable with prices for all pocketbooks. Visit www.carmonycollection.com That's Carmony with a K and Collection with a K. Or call
1: 925-785-7827. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. It's the Power Hour on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Now, back to the show with the Oprah of the airwaves, Cynthia Bryan
0: for staying with us here, where the world comes to talk and listen. At 83 years young, Frank West continues to help others help themselves through his full schedule of private and group therapy sessions. He is the author of two books, From Guilt to the Gift of Miracles and Healing Our Anger. We are talking about healing our anger today. Welcome, Frank, to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us. You know, your late wife, Martha, introduced you to a course in miracles, something that you've been gra- very grateful for and you've, you have incorporated this not only into your life but into your practice.
4: Well, so you said you it.
0: say in your book, Healing Our Anger, that a miracle is something that happens in the moment when an ancient hate is changed to a current love.
4: You in got Healing that Our right. Anger,
0: you've dissected the eight psychological uh, Truths about anger, and I really would like to go through them. But first of all, what motivated you to actually pen Healing Our Anger, which I know comes from some of your speaking engagements?
5: It comes from my uh, study of my own anger and how painful that anger has been to me, uh, robbing me of a serenity, and also, I'm aware, separated me from those I wish to love.
0: Ooh, so, I love that. I think that's an important uh, answer. The first thing that you talk about is that anger kills, not only in war, but it kills relationships. It, it kills joy. Let's go through the eight um, truths that you have dissected about anger.
5: Yep. So would you like me to go ahead? I
0: would. I would love you to, because I think they're very important. And, you know, maybe before, Frank, maybe before we talk about anger, why don't you just give just a a little um, blurb, a little kind of synopsis of what a course in miracles is. Uh, Many of our listeners are already familiar with it, but it really is something that can change lives and help all of us be better people.
5: Well, basically it helps uh, us understand that our mind is divided into into three seemingly split parts. The the one part that we live in um 99% of the time is the ego, which is characterized by fear, guilt and hate and a belief that we are something is wrong with us and we're lacking and uh, that um That is the origin of our misery. Then the second uh, part of our seemingly split mind is the created holiness of the love that we possess, that we can tap into as a healing agent to correct the ego's ideas. And then the third part of our mind that's so important is our capacity to choose. And it's up to us to make that choice and to know we have a choice between those two parts of our mind. And one the choice
0: big... is, is absolutely critical. Well, getting back to the eight truths that you talk about in your book, Healing Our Anger, we're speaking with Frank West, who is the author of this book, is anger kills. I thought that was a very good one to start with, because anger is something that really can destroy. Just, let's go through these eight truths.
5: Well, it certainly kills happiness and it kills a feeling of joining together. This country, for example, is very angry at the moment and it's split, uh, with warring camps, uh, and paralyzing Congress, for example. It also splits families or couples. And it, what it kills is our happiness and it also kills our bodies. Uh, um, I, I have an il- illustration in my book about the increase in cholesterol and other lipids when we are in that angry state of mind.
0: Yes, I mean, in the triglycerides, it, in the cholesterol, it, it gives us angry blood.
5: You you betcha. So and the
0: second one is anger is caused by fear.
5: You, you bet. It certainly is. All anger originates in some fear or terror. And if you can understand that, it helps you, uh, reduce the experience of anger by understanding that most of the fear we experience is unreal. Uh, the truth is that there is no fear. We, uh, generate it by our own thoughts. And that uh, that's a very hard concept for us to get because we, we all believe fear is real and understandable and rational and justified. But The Course of Miracles' position is if you really tap into that holiness part of your mind, fear is not present. And you know, I
0: want to interject here. You have examples and stories. I love the fact that you're a storyteller that are true from your own life. And so it seems sometimes when we we examine our lives that oh gosh my fear my fear is justified because he pointed the gun at me yeah, and you, in yeah, this right. particular thing you talk about how you were in um, in West Virginia or well, I guess he was from West Virginia when you were in the service and he pointed. He didn't like you because you were you were in command, and he had his finger on the gun.
3: That's so right. You wanted
0: to blow
5: me away, and I was within an inch of that happening, and I could feel the stomach clutch. Uh, I didn't know at that time what to do with the fear, but I do know now, and that's to take it and lay it on the altar of my heart, and ask uh that spirit of compassion. That I know I'm connected to from my Creator to disappear it, and when I do that, it disappears.
0: and you had you also talked about the well you, in another part about the, the monk who was tortured for 20 years in prison and he survived it by forgiveness. So That's the third correct. Truth for anger, it is a cry for love.
5: It certainly is. We, we all are crying for love in the various forms we use. One of them is anger. It's a sign that we're not in touch with the love that is available to us in our own minds. Uh, and the, the Dalai Lama's physician, uh, is the one, uh, is the illustration in, in my book. And he was able to, uh, not only tolerate the torture, Of twenty years of solitary confinement and brutality, and it was
0: terribly brutal, terribly brutal,
5: very brutal. And uh, at times he would pass out with the pain of his uh, of of the torture. But he was able to see his torturer as having what he said the Buddha is in a potential Buddha is in the torturer, as it is in uh, the Dalai Lama's physician so he could see he was joined on that level which helped him offer to his torture and prisoners healing that he knew they came to him for uh, for herbs that he knew would help them and so he was healing his torturers at the same time that they were torturing him
0: you A know and another story. thing that it, it made me it was interesting is how he would meditate before the torture so he would be in a state that he knew it was coming and he would yes. already start the love.
5: Yes, and, and that's what we can do too. When we know we're entering a situation where we're going to confront anger or hate, we can prepare by, uh, have, by a state of meditation or prayer to uh, be aware that we have a comforter with us a presence of love that we can, uh, can bring with us into that situation which is toxic and we're helpless without it.
0: And I know it's, it, even when we talk about it, it seems like it would be easy, but it's going to take a lot of practice and oh, a lot of no, patience no
5: question. to heal our This is our not anger. easy to the do. The
0: fourth truth about anger is it begins in the mind of the attacker. So right. when you're angry because you're frightened.
5: It starts in your mind. For example, if, if I'm angry at you for what you are seemingly doing to me, it's because if I acted that same way, I would be very guilty myself and attack me for acting that way. So if I heal my mind of all my guilt, and then I can tolerate a behavior that is toxic from you.
0: But I want to ask, Frank, because this one, you know, is, this is a hard one, I think. If, if someone is being really cruel to you or yes. um, emotionally, physically, you know, verbally abusing you, yes. how do we in that moment get to that place? of love when we're feeling humiliated and belittled, and and it's so confrontational. Well,
5: I'll give you an example. Uh, I have a, a woman in my practice who felt like I uh, was acting like her dad who hadn't protected her when she was abused uh, by her, her older brother. It happened in a group, and uh, she came to me uh, attacking me for 40 minutes. I didn't say anything. I just looked at her with an awareness that I was hearing a cry of anguish and pain, a cry for love. And I saw beyond her cruel attacking hatred the light of the compassion that was in her that she was not aware of at that time. After she left my office, she uh, reappeared in the group. I did not expect her to come back since she had determined not to come back. She said three things happened that brought her back. One, I didn't judge her for the hatred of me. Secondly, I, I did what her dad wouldn't have done, which was I said, I hope you'll forgive me if I wasn't aware of the, the, the pain you were in that night. And she said, but most important, two-thirds of the way through that hour when I was attacking you, your face took on a brilliant luminescence of shining light to a point where I couldn't distinguish your eyes, your mouth, or your nose, but I knew it was the light of my own compassion that I saw in you. And I said to her, well, you have had the miracle where an ancient hate was changed to a current love. That's what you can do.
0: That and that is the miracle because you were focused on helping her illuminate and see the light that you knew was inside her.
5: That's correct. By not judging her and, and by, by believing that she had that light.
0: That is a that's a beautiful story.
5: It the is The next a one
0: that you're talking about, you know, is how we we and this kind of this ties into what we're saying right now, is we, rep- we repress what we project, so we're afraid to express our anger because right. we fear the consequences.
5: And then we become depressed. But as Freud put it, what you repress will be exposed by a projection. We will project it out onto other people or onto our own bodies. So very often, uh, pain in the body uh, is a consequence of the guilt that is repressed and the hate that is repressed.
0: So if people have neck pain or back pain or or something, it could be a sign of their depression and their repression.
5: Frequently that is the case. So I've what had...
0: do you do to help them choose to allow the anger to be expressed in a constructive, positive way?
5: Well. What I do is to help them not judge the fact that they have that furious rage that they are so frightened of looking at and remind them that they're forgiven for uh, that dark, dark thought. Uh, we're so guilty about that.
0: Well, and that's where thought. the gift of miracles really comes in, is forgiveness, reconciliation is key to that's healing. Right.
5: There's a there's a lesson in The Course of Miracles in the workbook which reads, that the head of it is, uh, uh, forgiveness is the key to happiness. And that's the forgiveness of yourself for what you think is so awful about you. And that's a key to being able to see the same forgiveness for other people. Because we see others the way we see ourselves.
0: It's like a mirror, isn't it? The mirror exactly we do, right. we, we have mirror images, and that's where we project onto other people that's what we see in ourselves. So so very often when we're angry at someone, we're just really angry at ourselves. So that's correct. We have to look at ourselves first, forgive ourselves uh, first, before we can really make that choice to be open and loving with others. We have to love ourselves.
5: That's correct, and, and the reason, of course, we do project it is because it feels so painful, and it's a feeling of being awful, awfully judged, and it's a kind of a, a, a temporary relief, we hope, from the guilt if we dump it on somebody else.
0: Well, and that is that sixth truth, is that anger really is an attempt to change the behavior in someone else, but the reality is we can only change our own behavior.
5: That's correct, but it seems like we do try to change everybody else. We think that's going to work, but, of course, it always fails.
0: It always fails. (laughs) So there's no such thing as you make me happy or you make me angry. Those are words that that are actually fictional. They, They have no meaning.
5: That's exactly right. It's I make myself angry by the choice I make to which side of my mind I will listen to.
0: And are we listening to that ego part?
5: The Most seventh the is
0: part. anger starts with a belief in separation.
5: That's Talk correct. about
0: the separation. Well,
5: we think since you're a woman uh, and probably younger than me since I'm an old fogey and a man. You're
0: a young man. Just listen to you go.
5: <laughs> well, it seems like we're different. We're different in form but we are the same in our mind. There's only one mind, basically, and it's beyond time and space. That's the, uh, the, the, I would say, the spiritual message of the Course in Miracles, that we're all united as one, and we have the insane idea, a delusion that we are split and separated from each other. And it's uh, the idea of returning to the awareness that you and I have the same mind. You have that same three seemingly split into three parts mind as I do. And so when I see you, I see you as equal to me, just like me, not different, even though we're different in bodily form. So our personalities may be uh, unique or our bodies may be unique but certainly the mind is the same. And it's on that level that we are not separated.
0: Separated. And we're talking to author Frank West, who is a therapist and family counselor. He's the author of this book, Healing Our Anger, as well as another book, From Guilt to the Gift of Miracles. The final truth about anger is the person that get hurt is the angry person.
5: That's correct.
0: Nobody else is really thinking about it.
5: That's correct. It, if, uh, if you, get, if I get angry at you, for example, and then, uh, you choose to take that personally and, and be hurt, you have chosen that hurt. Uh, and it's only me that is in fact hurt. Because you, you have a choice not to choose to feel victimized by my anger if you wish to. Uh, I, however, if I'm in that angry state, I am not in touch with my love, that that I really am. That part of my mind which is, uh, is the benevolent, compassionate, kind a uh, part of my mind. And then I'm unhappy, I'm miserable. And if you notice, whenever you're angry, the guilt is enormous. Because when and it we makes don't
0: love you feel love... less happy and less happy. Well, Frank, we are out of time. I, we could keep talking. Is there a <laughs>
3: website you'd like people time.
0: to visit?
5: Yeah. Thank do you, you have very a website much.
0: you'd like people to visit, Frank? Pardon me. Would do you have a website you would like people to visit?
5: Yeah, it's called uh, Osprey West is my email uh, at gmail dot com. The website is Frank West Spiritual Books.
0: Frank West Spiritual Book dot com. The name of this book is Healing Our Anger, and his other book is From Guilt to the Gift of Miracles. Highly praised, a beautiful book, and as you can uh, such lessons for us to learn how to love and to learn and to be better people and to take ownership because we do have a choice. And fear is really the opposite of love, and so we can make everyday miracles. Frank, thank you so much for joining us and for writing Healing Our Anger. It is really a very valuable book that people will gain so much um, and be able to enhance their relationships when they use it.
5: Well, I want you to know I've enjoyed this experience very much.
0: Thank you, Frank. It's been my pleasure. When we come back from break, we're off to Hollywood Bright Lights with Virtus Nephew and his book, Real Life. Stay with us. I'm Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are.
1: Listen. The World is Talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel.
4: Hi, my name is Crystal Goodfellow, and I am a volunteer with Be the Star You Are charity. I'm here today to ask you to consider making a contribution to this worthwhile organization that encourages and empowers families and youth at risk by providing literacy and positive programming. Please visit the website at www.bethestarur.org, or call the offices at 877-944-STAR. Since 1999, Be the Star Ur has served more than 20,000 individuals and families, and donated more than $850,000 in resources to improve lives. Be the Star Ur you needs your support. You can donate your vehicle, buy our signature books, or make a contribution online. Everything counts, especially you. www.bethestarur.org or 877-944-STAR. Thanks for helping the kids.
1: This business of show business is calling out to me. The world talk radio variety channel where the world comes to listen and talk the volume grab a seat and get ready to be challenged inspired and motivated to greatness it's power party time on star style be the star you are with your hosts the mother-daughter dynamic duo Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany
0: well thank you for staying with us every week be the star you are brings you the authors the experts with a viewpoint that change your lives for the better and be the star you are is a 501c3 dedicated to empowerment and positive media you can make donations at org. The entertainment industry, whoa, the boys, the babes, the stars, the power, it can be intoxicating. In my three decades of involvement, it's rare to meet a person who's not interested in getting into it some way, somehow. Well, Verda's nephew has spent the last decade behind the scenes in the biz and follows his first book, the starry-eyed cave girl, with his newest real life. Welcome, Virtus, to Star Style, Be the Star You Are.
3: Thank you so much, Cynthia. I'm happy to be on the show with you.
0: Well, I really enjoyed reading your book because I do have a lot of experience in the entertainment industry, and it was wonderful to see how you put it all together. First, give us um, a bit of background, if you would, Virtus, about your uh, participation in show business and how now you are, uh, you know, sagging away in writing and what you're doing there.
3: Well, I've been in, as you mentioned, I've been working in the uh, entertainment business for over 10 years. I work at one of the studios in Los Angeles. And I have an interesting background because my background is more of kind of a consulting type background. So I see all the different facets of the business from the finance side to the operational side and to the contract and administration side. So sometimes I get a a rare exposure to see the other side of what happens that sometimes talent doesn't necessarily see. So when you see that person out there wanting to be an actor or an actress, they don't always understand what goes into selecting a certain cast member and what goes into uh, those ultimate decisions that ultimately make a movie profitable. And something the studio gets behind, and so there's a lot of different facets. But most, for the most part, most people, like you said before, in the you know interested in the entertainment business, they're only thinking about being in front of the camera. So they may see it from one perspective. And so what I tried to do in this in this project was try to capture just almost the essence of this city in LA, where you have so many people interested in being in the entertainment business, but. Some of those people, you know, they're more or less just out there, just driven by that same call, almost like the Pied Pipers out there calling, and don't necessarily understand that part of the business that it would really benefit them from understanding. So I just tried to weave in a lot of my background with just my personal experience in the, in the area where so many people are interested uh, in being in an entertainment business and try to tie that all together with some personal uh, stories as well.
0: Well, you see, the name of your book is Real Life: Chasing the Hollywood Dream, and you spell life L Y F E, which I thought was quite creative. And you actually have a little um, a little segment in the book where one of your characters is at a coffee shop writing away, and uh, the, uh, something spills on the ground, and he goes chasing after it, and he finds a notebook, and it has it's a journal, and it spells life L Y F E. Did that actually happen to you?
3: What the the part of the book that actually did happen is there's a segment previous to that that's actually included in the journal, where someone was in the post office and a person in front of them in line filled out an envelope, and that envelope was addressed to a life insurance company, and the guy basically stopped and said, "Wow, I spelled it wrong," why? And and he started asking himself, "Why does why doesn't life have a Y in it? Because life has so many questions." That little scene there. Where's the person? Where the person in the post office? That actually did happen, and that was the. Person
0: I alive. loved that scene, uh, you know, and I just I thought I loved the part because what you said about life—it has so many questions; it needs a why. So that I think that titling it "Real Life" was really great. So that actually did happen to you. Well, you, uh, you getting back to the characters in the book, you start off the book with the audition, which is so appropriate because. So many people, just like the song, you know, Do You Know Your Way to San Jose, they end up uh, coming from all parts of the United States and the world, for that matter, uh, to to follow this dream of being an actor in Hollywood and making it big, yet they end up pumping gas and being waiters. I always say waiters are just waiting, you know, (laughs) they're just waiting to be actors, although any waiter you meet in L.A. usually says, I'm an actor, waiting to be a waiter. (laughs) So... You start with Jenna. She's working, her talent agent is a bit unscrupulous because this talent agent is actually charging up front fees as opposed to getting commissions after the fact, which is something that many people don't know when they come to Hollywood, that any legitimate agency does not charge you anything up front.
3: Well, in in essence, what I try to capture in this book is the entertainment business is the business of entertainment throughout this city and there are so many businesses that capitalize on those dreams and that person that doesn't know. And there's a lot of people that come here and they've, you know, they basically put together their life savings and they think they're going to chase, they're going to make it and they don't realize how many other people have that same, you know, vision. Almost like you know, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Everybody's just, you know, flocking to Los Angeles, thinking I got to do this, I got to do that. And they don't always know the rules. They don't always know what they need to know. And they can become victim to uh, whether businesses tell them, you know, hey, great headshots here, or I can get you an insight on on auditions. There's a lot of different avenues out there. And people that really have that dream, they they that dream drives them to the point of not necessarily being realistic about what they understand about the business.
0: Exactly. Well, and Jenna was such an interesting character because here she's trying to maintain her, her job, but at the same time she's having to leave, you know, make up excuses, get out early, go on these auditions. But she had gone on 75 auditions and never had a callback.
3: Yeah, I, I, and I – I think that's one thing that I try to capture again is that there's this cleaner life for that person that's really trying to make it because they have to make themselves available to be able to make it.
0: Yes, and they have just, to be so flexible.
3: Right. They, have to def- they basically have to define their lives in such a way that they can leave at any moment in case that break comes. And, of course, when you say, wow, she's been on so many, it, the inference is, well, why doesn't she give up? And the problem is you got so many people out there that, that hear that story of that person that was in it seven years before they got their first break and then they become an overnight sensation. You know, there's a lot of people that, that you can, you can probably name countless stories. I mean, I sometimes tell people that work for me when they don't know what they're doing, you know, about a door-to-door paint salesman named Jack Roy who ultimately became a stand-up comedian when he was in his forties, which was Rodney Dangerfield. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of people that, that, that hang on to that dream and they have plenty of references where they can say well that guy didn't make it till later and that's great i encourage people to hang in there i don't i'm not saying this is this is i try to capture a real fine line between how it impacts a person's life and when you decide that maybe when you said about the waiter at some point you gotta ask yourself are you just the waiter and are you keeping something else on hold but it's that in-between in, in between period where you've got to do everything to make it happen. But at some point, you've got to look at your realities.
0: Well, I and, also like the moral issues that you brought up in your book. And we're talking to author Virta's nephew. He's written two really great books, Chasing the Hollywood Dream. It's called Real Life. And then the first book that preceded that is The, the Starry-Eyed Cave Girl, which you, Ms. Medina shows up in both books here, I noticed, when I read them. Oh, you in both of them, okay. Oh, yes. of course I did. I always read all the
3: books. <laughs> and I so much appreciate that because your feedback was so, so appreciative of when you sent me in the email. What I try to do is I try to establish what, what are some of the cornerstones of, of just really positive life. And in each of these I try to look at what is that, what's that rock? And sometimes you have that strong, strong teacher, that principal, that person that's looking out for people that are trying to make a difference in their lives. And I tried to weave all those together, and my goal was ultimately, as I write several books, to perhaps take a character out of one story and tell another part of where their life may have ended up, so that might end up including a character here or there uh that they may have that may have touched their lives, as you can see how that person may have developed through through you know where their that whole journey that they're going on, because I think this whole writing journey is just one for me to try to express myself and to get out there some wonderful stories.
0: Well, and it was, I, I thought it was very impressive because it's very true what you brought out in your book is that if we want our children to be successful, we have to have children who are, pa- we have to have teachers who are passionate about what they're doing. So your character was there kind of half half uh, halfway before until, She realizes that, you know, this is her real calling, is to teach and to be there for the students. As somebody you talk about, there's a real person that you write about in here, the songwriter and a very good uh, singer, Chrissy DePage, who is a real live artist. So you've kept up with her career. You wrote about her in real life. And I think as an example of someone whose music is so excellent, yet the general population doesn't know her yet, is such a great uh, foundation for everyone to know that just because you're fantastic doesn't mean you're going to be the household name.
3: Right. And in, a, in essence, that's almost the the beginning and origin of this story for me, is uh, I'd written the other book, and I was trying to come up with uh, another type of uh, – subject matter that I thought would be ideal, uh, because a lot of these things are a combination of real incidents that have happened in my life, things that I'm exposed to, and I try to just put them together, because there is a big story out there to be told, and uh, sometimes I used to like to take a bike ride over to the promenade and go to a movie as a way to clear my mind, and uh, one day, I was out there, and I heard Chrissy basically just singing away on a, on a uh, stool, and I just stopped and listened, and I thought, wow, this girl is great. She is absolutely fantastic. And I talked to her a little bit afterwards, and she said, you know, she was at a point where she had a person from a record company spoke with her, but then when the economy went south, a lot of the offers had been drying up. And, you know, I was just thinking, wow, this girl is absolutely outstanding. Here she is playing on the promenade. Uh, There's, you know, quite a few other talented, you know, singers and whatnot out there. And I tried to just frame that and look at, well, this is the type of person that is attracted to Los Angeles. From the, from the music side, no different than Jenna was as, as an actress. And this is where that person ends up. And what I was, where I was so inspired by her was rather than come to Los Angeles, get discouraged, and basically almost give up, she was doing the same thing as Jenna, except the difference in her case is she was dedicated enough to get a night job working where she could come play the promenade in the daytime. Invested in pressing her own CDs, trying to get her music out there. So in effect, her approach is what got me to understand that she's a great talent. And she says that's how some of the other folks that have tried to help her also have. um
0: Did it work out in your book? You have her getting some help. I mean, it sort of ends on. A, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, is she going to make it? Because she has the big studio executive who actually does want to help her out. Has right. she had that kind of experience?
3: Uh yes. And where she's at now is she's she's in a she's in a position of trying to finish up an album and she's working with some other folks. But it's the same kind of thing. But again, back to the you know, the main part of it is when in this city it's not like someone comes and says, Here's a record deal. You know, what they'll often do is they'll give you an opportunity and then you gotta take what you've been fighting for. If you're making your own songs, if you're putting things out there, you just gotta keep building. And what I like about her is she's put some, you know, she's put some music out there on the internet, she's given exposure to uh, herself, and she sometimes plays, I, actually, she played at the House of Blues uh maybe just a couple weeks ago. Um, so really great music. Um, uh, I spoke with her a couple times, obviously, I got permission to use some of her lyrics in the book, uh, but uh, I think she's outstanding, and I think she's just that one person that, you know, I, you, you want to root for to make it, but... When well, and back, in addition, realize... you
0: have written lyrics too. Do you have aspirations to be a songwriter? Because there's lyrics that you wrote in the book, and that was one that I thought I really thought this was an interesting chapter where you have your writer. He's cannot, he can he searches the internet, uh, want ad sites, and is asked to write a song about gambling, and he's going to be paid a lot, but he does it on spec. He's told to revamp it, doesn't get paid, and then a few months later actually hears his song being used on, you know, it's on the radio.
3: This well, happens. I think that's just an L.A. thing. Yeah. <laughs> I think that happens. It happens. Yeah, and you got people that are writers that are just like, the, just like the actress or the singer. They're trying to use their talent to make it, and there's a lot of people that may take advantage of that as well. And so I have no personal interest in the music business, you know, but I, I, as a writer, I feel like if I can show my range as a writer, I should be able to write things like those music lyrics, and I try to be creative and try to do those, those types of things. But I tried to, to use some parallels in a lot of the different types of industry, whether it be the, you know, a writer, whether you, someone be a musician or an actor, but just to say that, that it's, it's a similar story.
0: Well, and, and that's what I think is, is important is the fact that you are actually warning people to follow your dreams, to chase that, that passion, but to do so with your eyes wide open, to do it yes. with caution, to get some help, some coaching, to get somebody on your side. Don't just follow everything, link, you know, a hook, line, and sinker because there's a lot of scams out there. And sometimes it's just better to get going in a, a smaller market if that's really what you want. But I want to give out your website. I'm really looking forward to your next book because you captured so much in real life. And I can just imagine what all of the, What your next books are going to be like. And your website is Virtusnephew.com. Go ahead and spell that for our listeners, would you?
3: It's V-E-R-T-I-S-N-E-P-H-E-W.com. And also, if you
0: want... com, and the two books at the moment are Starry-Eyed Cave Girl and Real Life, Chasing the Hollywood Dream. And if you want a great overview of what it's really like to try to get going, whether it be in, in front of the camera or behind the camera, you'll, you'll get a real feel for it in Virtus' book. You've done a brilliant job, and you are a terrific writer, Virtus.
3: Thank you so much. I mean, that means a lot coming from you having read so many books. It it was important for me to get your feedback first and foremost versus just using this as a plug. No, I
0: really enjoyed it. And then also just because I have so much experience in the entertainment industry, I just found it so fascinating of all the different vehicles you wrote about. And one that we didn't even talk about today is the casting couch, and we just want you to know it's still alive and well, so beware Everything you do and say from the minute you walk in the door, is it reflects who you are. So pick up a copy of Real Life and the Starry-Eyed Girl at com. And, Virtus, we well, hope when you have your next book, you'll give us a holler again. We'll get you back on.
3: I certainly will, and I certainly appreciate you, you going through and giving me your, your feedback and give me a chance to talk about the book today.
0: Thank you. And for everyone out there who's interested in an, an acting career, just know that in California that there is legislation that has been passed and signed into law that actually prohibits any uh, talent agent from charging upfront uh, fees. So hopefully we'll be able to eliminate some of the scams. You can check with Better Business Bureau or Screen Actors Guild, or the American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. Thank you, Virtus, for being a guest. You've been listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style, Be the Star You Are, and we will see you next week. Thanks for joining me.